0: Yeah, welcome everybody. This is Tap Out Talk. I'm your host, Brian the Hype Ballard, and we're getting back to the way too late, way too crazy full gear results and thoughts. Without further ado, we've waited long enough. Let's get in. All right, guys, welcome. And this we're going to cover here is the zero hour to full gear. We'll make it quick and brief, but I do want to say thank you guys for being patient with me on this one. Actually, the night after Full Gear, we recorded a whole session here on Tap Out Talk, whole entire session, only to find out the audio did not record. We took our notes, we ate our lucky charms, we threw on the Nikes, we are ready to prefer performance, and the audio did not record, which caused me to really just rethink life as a podcaster. But that's okay, because you know what, I do this because I like it, not because I'm making millions off of it. And so I'm going to get back, and I told myself I was going to review these notes, and I was going to go over this. if not just for you guys, but for me. First matchup on the Zero Hour is Eddie Kingston versus Jay Lethal. This was for the Ring of Honor World Championship matchup. Jay Lethal had Sanjay Dutt, Satin Singh, The Jarretts, Karen and Jeff out there. And we even got a little bit of Stokely right there on the broadcast. Remember, the Zero Hour is meant to get the crowd ready, get them started out, test out that ring. And I tell you what, it's something about Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston is loved by many, loved by the crowd. I'm not a big Eddie Kingston guy myself, but I have grown a little bit of a fondness for him the more I watch him. But I will say this about Eddie. He does know how to get a crowd involved. And he did that here in this matchup with the technical paralysis of Jay Lethal. So, in this matchup, we get a lot of back and forth. Um, And ultimately, Eddie, as you guys seen on the Zero Hour, does pull this out with a victory. Um, Eddie wins basically the overall battle. And he keeps, and he actually announces later in the night that he will go for the, uh, a new tournament that is actually going to be involved called the Continental Tournament that will be on the next month of programming of AEW. So, at the end of this match, we also get um, Ortiz back into the picture, and they look like they're back on the same page with Eddie. Life is good, unless you're Stokely Hathaway. But Eddie joins Renee and RJ City for a moment and calls Stokely a bald-headed bitch. So we get Eddie in about a 10 minute mark getting a win on this one. We move on to our second match of the Zero Hour. I will say the Zero Hour always performs. Here at Full Gear is no different. We got Claudio Casanole versus Buddy Matthews. And these guys have been having a bit of a feud back and forth if you haven't been following. Um, it's the Blackpool Combat Club versus the House of Black. And we see a little bit of back and forth. And then on Friday, On Rampage, we actually are on Collision Friday night. Excuse me, we found out that Buddy Matthews would be taking on Claudio in the Zero Hour. So in this one, Buddy at the beginning throws his zip-up hoodie in Claudio's face and stomps him down. Claudio fights back and teases us, big swing, but it's too early in the match for that. We can't do the swing right away, can we? So ultimately, they get onto the apron. Claudio whips Buddy into the barricade. Then there's some European uppercuts it's Claudio. Claudio runs into a shoulder block from Buddy, and they just go back forth, and they're getting a little crazy. But ultimately, Buddy fights off the overall swing attempt again, mid-match. There's a super European uppercut, and gets, two, uh, gets a 1 and a 2 for Claudio. Buddy fights back with a neutralizer, the kicks are exchanged, and then, and then, it's finally swing time. After the swing, we get a 2 count on Buddy. It's interesting. I like the way they use the swing as a psychology. They teased it with the fans once. No. They teased it a second time. No. And then they built to it. Finally giving the fans something to cheer for for the swing. And that's what you gotta do sometimes is give people a little bit. And the story here was try to get the swing on Buddy Matthews. This is gonna end up With Claudio lifting Buddy up, and he hits a TKO, a running your repeat uppercut, he gets a one and a two. There's a Ricola bomb, and then a sharpshooter, and Claudio marches back to the center ring, and Buddy taps. So basically, Buddy starts to get to the rope, he's pulled back. Claudio gets the win around the 10-minute mark here. Claudio wants a handshake at the end of this matchup, but to no avail. Buddy Murphy actually blows him off and walks past him. Claudio then brushes it off of his shoulder, literally brushes it off the other shoulder, and celebrates a place to the crowd. Up next, we get the final zero-hour matchup. That is MJF and Samoa Joe teaming up. That's right. He's taking Samoa Joe's help. Our World, our Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion. And this is where the night begins. This is where the storytelling begins for the pay-per-view. They're going against the guns here. And the goal and the story is that Samoa Joe helps MJF with his title defense. Since Adam Cole cannot go, that he will get a future title shot from MJF. So Samoa Joe is there to do a job as a hired hand. The gun's entrance is about the same. um, And then Escalber basically explains that Juice Robinson is not with him because he's out of action due to the shot of the head that he took on on a television swinging MJF. Um, Ultimately Joe holds the rope open for the group. So at this point Samoa Joe's coming out. He holds the rope open for um, MJF who's wearing his purple and gold because you know, they're out in LA tonight So they gotta get a little bit of Laker love going there But ultimately the storytelling in this matchup starts and leads into the pay-per-view for this one And ultimately what happens is we get a, a little bit of a competition between Joe and MJF and they're blind tagging each other back and forth left and right all the way over the match ultimately then we fast forward and we do get a double samoa buster from each of the competitors with mjf and samoa joe and then all of a sudden there's a three count that gets broken up and they fight both guns on the outside gun takes mjf out and sets up for something on joe but adam cole's music hits Cole comes out on crutches, so Adam Cole is limping out on crutches, and Joe takes advantage of the distraction, locks in a choke submission for the win around the 9-minute, 25-second mark. And then, while wow, MJF and Cole are embracing on the outside, then MJF shakes hands with Joe in the ring, and Cole pumps MJF up with a positive speaking, but then the guns attack from behind. This is after Samoa Joe left and did his job. So now, Cole can't and he can't get into the ring. I want you to remember that from the storybooking standpoint. He can't even compete, let alone get into a ring. And then all of a sudden, MJF is attacked while Cole watches. MJF goes out on a stretcher and we don't know the future of the AEW Championship main event here at Full Gear this night because MJF makes, and he's leaving in an ambulance, but just as he's leaving in that ambulance, he does make in a very overly dramatic acting, Adam Cole promised that they won't take his championship. Adam Cole says, yes, of course, he won't let them take the championship. And that leads us into Full Gear. So, Full Gear is getting us towards the beginning of the pay-per-view, and this is where it starts, and we don't know what the main event entails for us. And at that point, this is a couple of you guys, you know, some of you guys didn't like the story booking of this event tonight. Um, I'll tell you one thing I do like about it, and I think it could have been a little bit. I think overbooked might have been the thing and the theme here. And I'm not arguing that at all. I do like story, uh, bookend storytelling. I like the idea that we start with a story and a theme throughout the night, and then we end with a story and theme. And I remember when, back in the day, WCW Nitro was very good at bookend storytelling. And I feel like, you know, these pay-per-views should be mini-movies. They should answer some questions. We should get some clues, cues, and indicators about how they move and how they go. So ultimately, we are kicking off into full gear, and we have the beginning of that story. We have that question of what will happen, and we had to build up Jay White as a possible winning this title tonight or something that was going to happen, and we got to wonder what is going to be that story here at full gear, but we can't remember that right now because we got to get into our first match while we figure out all that championship craziness, and our first match is going to be Christian Cage, Soros, and Nick Wayne taking on a trios match against Adam, the rated R superstar Copeland, formerly Edge, Darby Allen, and Sting. If you guys missed it, Edge is now in AEW. He's made his return within the last month. Jumping ship, crossing the line, whatever you want to call it. And Christian has some children singing his choir and to get them out. And then... We get it ringside. Um, Ric Flair actually gets his own entrance in this one. And then after that, we get Sting and Adam coming out with baseball bats and Darby. And they got a theme going. They're all in the black and white. Their faces are either half painted or full painted. And they got a good look going, right? Sting and full paint, Adam Copeland, Darby in half paint. I like the look. I like the design. You knew they were winning this matchup. Something that's fun. Stink has not taken a loss since he's been in AEW for multiple years. And I think they'll ride that out. It's the wins that he should have gotten in WWE. And we know that he was not treated the best there. But, hey, they put him in the Hall of Fame, right? So, at this point, we get some back-and-forth trios action. Um, and then what this one's going to end up with is, you know, we get some dive-overs. We get... Um, Overall, we do get Darby Allen, Adam Copeland, and Sting about the 15-minute mark. So we get a lot of celebration here. They move ahead. And then Darby drops some F-bombs while telling the people in L.A. and in California to cheer for Sting's last match in California. And for me, that was important because we do forget that Sting is on his farewell tour, even though we're all aware of it. This is the last time we're going to see the icon in California, in his home state, wrestling. And it makes me wonder and realize, let's remember, we're here to enjoy the final ride of Sting. We don't know how it ends. We don't know where it's going. But what we do know is I think we're in for something special for these next couple months as we say farewell to the icon. And I think that AEW will send him out on a really good note. And I think they'll do it right by him. So Tony Khan's definitely handled Sting amazingly. And I think it's been a great partnership both ways. And it's helped bring Darby Allin up into the fold even more. So now we're going to get a main event update next. And Tony Schiavone is on the stage with Bryce Rimberg, the referee. And Jay White comes out to accept his AEW World Championship via forfeit. Tony tells us that MJF is injured and will not be able to compete tonight the match has been canceled and our new AEW champion is it's all about that boom Adam Cole baby's music hits and Adam Cole is out Cole tells Jay White that he made a promise to his best friend MJF that he already talked to Tony Khan if MJF can't defend the championship Adam Cole will so at this point we get Adam Cole defending MJF's AW World Championship against White tonight. White says he took Cole out once before and he'll take him out again. Now, I said I was all about book and storytelling, and I do like the concept, but here's the thing. Let's think about logic. Adam Cole was not medically clear. That's why he did not defend his ring of honor championship in the pre-show in the zero hour. That's why Samoa Joe got tossed into this whole picture. So, for me, I don't understand how Tony Khan, in story, quote unquote, can medically clear Adam Cole to wrestle on behalf of MJF in the main event. It doesn't make sense. And while I say, you know, some people are going to say, oh, Jay White got buried tonight. Oh, Jay White. No, no, clowns. Jay White didn't get buried. Jay White is too good to get buried. Barry. He's just in his rookie year in AEW and he's getting his start, okay? So, this is only ultimately going to see us make him visualize him as a main eventer and the guy that can actually go in the main event even under some weird circumstances. So, ultimately, Adam Cole though, being clear, does not make any sense to me. Um, if it was me playing fantasy booker, I would have had Samoa Joe take MJF spot this could have been payback for Joe helping you know in the zero-hour match and this would have been a way for him to get a title shot it didn't necessarily say that Joe would have gotten a title shot at MJF it was his title he would have still gotten a title shot at MJF's title if he would have taken on this main event so I would have loved to seen Samoa Joe versus Jay White as the teased main event here, and I think that story makes more sense than having Adam Cole with the proverbial one-legged man and an ass-kicking contest moniker. So we'll kind of like let the story play out throughout the evening, but this is what they were trying to set up, and they were trying to create booking in a little drama to the championship match, but it just didn't make overall sense. So here we have next up the international championship match against who I feel is one of, or two of the most iconic to this international championship, and guys to hold it, and that is Orange Cassidy, John Moxley, Part Two. So we're gonna get a match. Um, Cassidy comes out with Hook, Moxley comes out with Wheeler Yuta from Blackpool Combat Club, and Mox gets the upper hand early. Mox not getting a lot of, uh, he's looking a little pasty this day. He doesn't, he looks a little rusty, but he'll get over that. Uh, Mox is. Back with a front suplex with some chops. And then he tells Orange Cassidy, um, he basically gets back with Orange Cassidy and he hits a slam for a two count. Um, More of a bossman slam type move. Mox goes for a Texas cloverleaf. Okay, he's got some technical skills, but uh, he locks it in. Orange Cassidy gets out, but also gets stomped and chomped for his measures. Fast forward in the match a little bit. Later on, we get Orange Cassidy blocking a Death Rider and hits a Slumdog Millionaire. And then Mox hits a bunch of punches and goes for the Bulldog Choke. Cassidy gets out, and pile drivers and a beach break are teased. But Mox is firing up and hits. He's firing up out of a kick. And then Cassidy locks in a red rum. Mox maneuvers to the corner and removes the turnbuckle. Mox hits his cutter on Cassidy. And then a gotch pile driver and gets a one and a two. Mox with his some lazy kick storage Cassidy. Cassidy puts on his hands and pockets and Mox runs into the exposed turnbuckle. Cassidy drops Mox back but he can't take advantage of it. And he hits a punch for once, twice, three times, three punches. Mox back up. Cassidy with a roll up for a two. Another punch. Another. And there's six on this time. There's Finally gets a one, a two, and a three for the win. And the pin at the 12 minute mark. Orange, Cassidy, is still your international champion. We get Trent and Claudio that come out post-match for a little activity, and Hook and Wheeler kind of get into it a little bit. But I think this is just going to build to their eventual match. Just so you guys are aware, Mox did bleed during the match. I think we need to start keeping track on how many matches in a row Mox is bled in. I can vouch he even bleeds at house shows. Just saying. So we now have um, Adam Cole. Some news that Adam Cole and Jake White is made official with a little graphic on TV, kind of keeping that story in mind. Meanwhile, Mark Briscoe is also announced to enter this Continental Classic Tournament. Um, you know, it's kind of makes sense. He's a ring-on-honor guy, and I think that you know, makes good use of Mark Briscoe. And he might be the underdog storyline of this tournament. We'll have to see. But, you know, speaking of next, we got to get into our women's world championship matchup. Kirishita, the champion, three-time champion, defending against timeless Tony Storm, looking to make history and become another three-time champion herself. We guys think of the timeless Tony Storm gimmick. I like the graphics. I like the black and white. I like what they're doing with it. I can't help but wonder if... Dustin Reynolds, a.k.a. Goldust, has helped her develop this character. This character's got a very Goldust vibe to it, without the weird creepiness, but it's got a very cinematic Goldust vibes to it, and I would like to think that Dustin might be helping out with the, the, with the uh, producing of it a little bit. It's kind of a nice, sometimes the best art is the art that imitates other art. I always liked Tony Storm with the rocker gimmick. I always said she's female, Chris Jericho. But I do appreciate the fact that she is attempting to reinvent herself to not grow stale. We got a lot of rocker type girls in AEW. See Ruby Riot? See Soraya? So, yeah, I think it's important that Tony Storm maybe get her own thing. So, Tony ultimately looks at her script and me and rips it up, and she must not like the ending to what's going to happen. So, then Sheeta and Storm trade strikes. Sheeta with a knee in the corner, and then um, she took some chops. To Storm's chest. Mariah May looks worried backstage while the chops continue. Storm fights back with chops of her own. There's a bulldog by Storm. Winding up. And the elbow sends Sheeta down for a one count. Mariah looks happier as she can. now as Tony goes on the offensive in this matchup. We get a missile drop kick for a two-count. Tony blocks Sheeta on the ropes, presses down on her for a one and a two. Move the places. Before an object in Tony's tights. Tony grabs the shoe, but Aubrey Edwards blocks that because she's the best female ref and she's all over it. Of course, the other shoe was in Tony's tights. She uses it for a one and a two. At this point, we get a Storm Zero with a gin tonic. Sheeta with some punches to Storm. Storm fights back, Sheeta with the kick, and then basically at this point now, we're going off script. Sheeta makes the ropes. The damage may be done, though, as Tony removes the shoe. Sheeta blocks it, smacks Storm to the floor. Sheeta gets the kendo stick, and Lutha makes sure that it doesn't happen. He then gets smacked several times with the kendo stick. Storm slides another item into her tights. Storm blocks the kick. A series of reversal leads to a near pinfall in Sheeta. Storm goes for a deadlift German shoe suplex. Then a hip attack corner perhaps aided by the object in Tony's tights. And then we get a one, a two, and a three. And yes, history has been made in L.A. We've got Tony Storm at the 10-minute mark becoming a three-time women's world champion in AEW. Ryan May comes out with some flowers. There's quite a celebration here for our new champion. And the fans were into Tony's character very much. Not so much the overall match at some parts, but it did get... Um, that really didn't get involved with the shoes and the foreign objects, but we do get a nice little Tony Storm, and I do think it was the right call. Um, I like long championship reigns. I do. Yukirashita always felt like a transitional champion. What I would ask is that the timeless one, Tony Storm does have a long, long reign with this belt. Losing it to eventually somebody super important. So... Uh, Backstage Renee is with Eddie Kingston and Eddie says that he is entering the Continental Classic as mentioned earlier And he wants to defend both of his championships in all of his matches He then says he'll make it a triple crown as the Continental Champion Is going to be now a thing and they'll create their own triple crown in AEW So next up we get the AEW World Tag Team Championships A little bit of a melee here we get A little mix of Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Reminds me of a little, you know, Big Bill doing the Enzo and Cass thing with little pretty Ricky Starks. We got Rush and Drillistico. I really like Drillistico. I was there the night they uh, signed him, and he was uh, on that his first debut on Collision in Cleveland. So, I do like Drillistico. Rush is fun. So, you got your Luchas. You got your champions. You got your technical tag team with the FTR, the seven star legends in the making. And then you got Malachi Black and Brody King. That's your powerhouse team. So you got Lucha versus technical versus the powerhouses versus the entertainers as the champions. Ricky Stark's entrance was the first thing to break, uh, which made sense. And then it was a scrum to begin. And then it was... um, Bill and Brody almost face off before everybody breaks it up. Dax knocks Black down with right hands. They're just kind of going all over the place fighting each other. There's one point where Driscoll probably should have climbed the ladder, but he dives onto the mass in um, the human- masses of people down below instead. It's a very Lucha-like move. Starks goes up to the top, but Black breaks that up. Black then moonsaults onto the pile. Dax meets Ricky on the turnbuckle. And then at that point, the AEW crowd sure does like you know what they see so far. They go for a choke slam, but Dax and Rush break it up. And we go a little bit forward in this matchup because who do you guys think is gonna win this one? Well, we get Ricky doing some rope walks and he takes out both the FTR members. Brody then has some good blood going on at this point. Starks overhead suplexes back on onto the ladder and then the King takes out Starks with a backdrop There's a cannonball on Dax. Brody climbs up. Drulisco later with some kicks to Bill. There's just pandemonium going wild And Rush at another point sandwiches Bill in the corner with the ladder And if you mess with the bull, you get the horns going on And then there's a bull rush set up with the ladder, but Ricky joins him up top. Dax gets a taller ladder in this case So we're getting a lot of ladder matches. I feel like this match was really well placed on the card just after a couple matches. And then we get a little more variety kicked in right here. But Cash tries to stop things. Big Bill keeps Starks up on the ladder. Cash tries to stop it all. But it's the championships that are staying on top tonight. As Ricky, Starks, and Big Bill keep their titles. This went about 20 minutes tonight. They obtained the belts via ladder match rules. And I will say, uh, it's the right choice. Bill and Ricky do still belong as champions. Um, They're building something up. They want to do something with Ricky. Ricky, what a year he's had. He's won the Owen Hart Cup. He's got a nice new shiny tag team partner. He's got a little bit of an attitude, right? I believe he had a title shot at some point too. So we do got a nice little, you know, and when you don't ready to commit to pushing a guy in the main event or even the sub main event, Yeah, get them in the tag titles and get them a little bit of a run. I think this could eventually end up with a showdown with another great tag team. I'd like to personally see them run the Legends. I would like to see them go against the Hardys and go against a couple other teams and just really kind of establish themselves. I think they need a little bit more of a team name. But, ultimately, let's get over to the TBS Championship. Ah, the days when the TBS Championship never changed hands. And there was a nice Bill Goldberg-like streak with a lady... Long ago, named Jill, or excuse me, Jade Cargill. Those were the days, right? So the GBS championship has had two champions in its history. Jade Cargill for a couple years. And now we have Chris Statlander, who is picking up the pace for her in her leave. So this one is Chris Statlander defending against Julia Hart and Sky Blue. There was a little bit of who would be the third person in this matchup. Sky Blue and Red Velvet. They had a match, and Sky Blue did get the rights to be in this matchup. So overall, we do get um, Julia here. And we're kind of wonder what's going to happen with her and Statlander. it has been a weird little bit of a story between Sky Blue and all of them. But ultimately, we get some back and forth right in the beginning. And Chris gets knocked out of the ring right away. And Julia hits a cannonball on the floor. Sky hits a Rana to Chris on the floor. And Chris gets a double suplex on her two opponents. She sends Julia back into the ring. There's a, a kicks for Chris Statlander, including a double super kick. Sky and Julia face off. There's a truce that lasts for about eh, eight seconds before Julia goes on the offensive. And Sky fights back and hits and hits um, her move for a two-count. Statlander with a suplex for Sky. She kicks both women up. There's a Samoan drop to Sky. There's a pinfall broken up by Julia Centaur. Fast forward in the match a little bit. We got Julia who knocks Chris off the turnbuckle. Hits the Moonrow Moonsault salt on Sky. Chris barely breaks up the pinfall in the timeline. Julia gets power slammed on the floor and Sky fights right back hits some kicks on Chris, Chris nearly hits the finish, we then get a code blue, Julia blocks, or she blocks a code, she hits a code blue, um, and it gets a two count, Julia then blocks another code blue, there's lariats on Chris in the back of the head, and then there's the heartless lock on Sky, but Statlander German's suplexes Julia out of it, and there's another German suplex, and another for Sky. And then there's a quick cover for a two. Chris hits the Saturday Night Fever on Sky and gets a two before Julia knocks her right off for the cover. Julia covers Sky instead. And we have a new women's champion at the 11 minute mark. 11 minutes, 21 seconds. We have a new women's champion. But That's okay, because we have have two women's champions that changed hands tonight. So this night definitely went to the change in the guard for the women. I think uh, Julia Hart... Has worked very hard on her character. I'm not hating the idea. I do like Chris Statlander. It makes me wonder. You heard it here first. I feel like with this win by Julia, it might be a good opportunity to push Chris Statlander and to make her be the first opponent to Timeless Tony Storm. I feel like when they're done with the TBS championship, they do move to the main event title. So I... Book it. Chris Statlander versus Tony Storm. That'll be her first title defense. But we do have our TBS championship completed here on this one. Hey guys, so speaking of complete, if you really want a complete fan base to just work around, you know, check us out on the fans of Pro My tag partner Carlos, John Will Heather, got the whole crew, got Ted the Hill Billy Hill. We've got a lot of great podcasts over on that page. Check us out. Hey, follow me. On Twitter X, at the Brian Atkins. And guys, thank you just so much for being here, being a part of this. Like, share, subscribe if you can. Uh, liking just helps me so much in just, you know, kind of coming here and as, you know, I'm still working on my own, trying to do my thing. But let's move on. And speaking of new things, we've got the contract signing. We were wondering who AEW's big announcement was going to be. We wanted to know who was going to be the changing of the guard in the world's biggest Free agent and that is none other than will osprey you guys say who will ocean spray isn't that a sports drink No, will osprey is from england he is a european fighter that is mostly known for fighting in japan now something you guys should know via the post media scrum Will Ospreay is AEW and is All Elite. However, he is still under contract until January with New Japan Pro Wrestling. But as you know, AEW and New Japan have a very friendly partnership with these kinds of things. And I don't suspect that would ever end. Also, it's very interesting. Will Ospreay, and they just announced a few weeks ago that they will do All In Part 2 over in England. That's going to be very interesting to have Will Ospreay in his hometown crowd. I'm going to it once, I'll say it again. There's only two people that should take that title off of MJF. Excuse me, MJF. It's a late night. MJF should only lose his belt to two people. I said one would be Kenny Omega, the king of AEW, Kenny the collector, one of the greatest champions in AEW history. The other. Will Ospreay. I said it months ago. This man has done nothing but impress me in the very small sample size of matches that I've watched with him. And he's not just high flying crazy good, he's good. If you guys have not seen a Will Ospreay match, check out Forbidden Door. Any of them. Check out any of the matches in AEW. Check out Kenny Omega. So these are definitely great opponents. I think Will Ospreay will end up being. He may win the dang title in such a, in front of a monumentous WrestleMania-like crowd next year. I'm calling it now. Even if MJF is not in the title picture then. I will say that Will Ospreay will become AEW champion in next year in Wembley. Book it. And speaking of booking, we get to, in my opinion which was the match of the night. <clears throat> the Texas Death Match, Hangman, Adam Page, Swerve Strickland, Part 2. And I'll be honest, Part 1 was good, but Part 2 blew the doors off. So let me kind of start on a couple things. I want to say this because I just feel like I can't say it enough. We talked about it in a, a Twitter X space the other night on Wednesday Night Chaos. Me and John, Chris, Nasty Leroy, the whole crew. We all got in there, we all talked, right? And we got into how these matches are violence and what that really means. So I want to kind of make my point again for all of you that haven't heard it. I seen posts of some people on social media, on Twitter, and you guys were saying, i seen one in particular that said, I can't believe I let my younger sister or kid, whatever it was, let their first pay-per-view watch something as horrible as this Texas death match because there was a lot of blood and there was even drinking of blood. That's right, they drank blood in this match, okay? And what kills me is the responsibility when you're responsible for somebody. A kid, a parent, etc. Right? In your first pay per view, I want to keep in mind, your first pay per view, you see advertised Texas deathmatch, and you say, that should be a good idea. I'm going to pay for that and let them watch. You have to take responsibility. Okay? AEW did nothing wrong here, in my opinion. They did not false advertise anything. They did not make this on casual TV where you would accidentally turn on the channel. They gave us this match on a pay-per-view, meaning you paid money to watch this. Means that you should know what you're ordering. Like I said, you go to the restaurant, you order a meal. And it was advertised as the Texas death Match. That's what you ordered. If you weren't sure what a Texas Deathmatch, do your own research. Google it. TikTok it. We live in that world now you don't have the right to not educate yourself and get an idea of what a Texas death match is and what kind of expectations to have for the week at heart. So what I will say is these performers are doing matches that put their careers at a liability. AEW did this correctly by making it a pay-per-view match. You can't accidentally stumble across this match. So at the end of the day, there is some responsibility on the buyer to actually know what they are ordering or buying. And it's not like we called it the elf grass and Cupcakes picnic match. It's a Texas death match. Okay, I'm going to get off that rant. Um, sorry for that. But ultimately, I just had to get that out because I do think you just, you know, we don't have that right to, you know, stumble across things and act offended. Okay. Got to stop being offended, guys. It's wrestling. So at the end of the day, uh, we get a heck of a match out of these two. I think it's one of the match of the Year candidates for a hardcore match. In this matchup, I seen something different out of Adam Hangman Page. I seen a little bit of grit. and this is a uh, Nasty Leroy, I believe was made this point. Leroy said, when you got a guy like Swerve who's really up in his game and he got Adam Page, to really up his game and go along this journey with him, you're gonna get something really good. Swerve Strickland, I'm gonna talk about what my thoughts on him overall, but I wanna kinda of talk about this one, right? So we get some Lariats in the first 20, we get the buckshot Lariat in the first 20 seconds of the matchup. There's a knockout and submissions are the way to win this one overall. And Paige throws Swerve around at ringside. Paige looks under the ring and eventually finds some duct tape. And he also finds a chair. To Uh, to hit Swerve with. Page uses the tape. We've seen him kind of do something similar before on Swerve's wrist. And he brought a staple gun with him. (coughs) The staple gun goes right to the pectoral muscle and another one. Swerve gets stapled all around the ringside while his wrists are taped. Page then drives the sideways chair into Swerve's head and the referee starts counting. Swerve is already busted open. While Paige staples a finger painting over a, or a drawing to his head. And he swears swerves, and then he uh, takes it, he drinks Swerve's blood. Wow. Now Paige has barbed wire chairs coming out. Paige swings for the fences. That means that Swerve Strickland has got under the nerve of Paige so much that he's got to go to these measures to put him away. He's got to put him away once and for all. He's had it with Swerve Strickland. Swerve Strickland is such a villain and such a hill. Our hero, Hangman, has to do more. Every Batman needs their Joker. So at this point, later on, we get some cinder blocks involved and Paige, uh, we get some, Swerve gets pile drives Paige into a barricade. It didn't look fun. And then we, uh, Swerve is just losing blood, pints of blood. We get another fall away slam it's later on in the match. Paige obtains some barbed wire and he hits it on Swerve's face again. He then ties up Swerve with the barbed wire, delivering another fall away slam. And Paige then takes the barbed wire chair up top and hits a moonsault on the Swerve onto the floor. So we get a lot here. Fast forwarding a little bit more because this match was just all over. We get Swerve with a 450 splash. The JML driver then somehow Heyman gets up at the nine count. He's still hanging in there. He's still battling. Swerve. Then Cactus clotheslines Page to the floor. We have a barbed wire board coming out. What else is left? The kitchen sink. Swerve props open the board. Swerve sets Page on the turnbuckle. Page hits a fall-away slam on top, through the board. There's a powerbomb and a dead eye on the board. Swerve makes it to all fours before Page starts wrapping the bar, bar around Swerve's head. There's another buckshot lariat. There's we move on, and at this point, here comes Brian Cage, which is fine because, you know, there's no DQs in this matchup. So Cage hits a couple of powerbombs and some f 5 for good measure via Brock Lesnar style. We get a regular table. That's weird in this matchup, not barbed wire. The fans want it on fire, but instead Page hits some elbow strikes with the barbed wire around his arm and the Lariat sends Cage to the floor. Now Nana hits Page with a chair. Yeah, this isn't going to end well. And then ultimately Swerve has a cinder block and he smashes it over Hangman Page's back. Does this match end? Will it end? Well, guess what? Swerve now has the chain. He's wrapping it around Page's neck, and he's hanging the hangman. We've seen this before. He thinks about getting up. Page thinks about getting up, but doesn't. And this one is over. Hangman Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page. Serve Strickland. Guys, I just got to go back and say, these guys battled their hearts out. To me, it was match of the night. Good luck to anybody having to follow this one. Who's the poor soul going to be? Yeah, it's going to be the tag match, right? We only got two matches left. It's the tag match. It's Kenny Omega, the Golden Jets, and Chris Jericho. The Golden Jets versus the Young Bucks. All right, we're going to do a... Hey, if anybody can do anything, it's these four guys. They're talented. They're loved. It's hard to follow that death match, but you know what? These guys are loved by the fans. If anybody can do it, it's them. At least they can take some of that, you know, cool the car out down a little, but, you know, start to heat them up for the main event. Uh, this matchup, you know, I was still thinking about that past matchup with the Texas death match um, and how that was, God, it was a main event match. I said it once, I'll say it again. I think Swerve Strickland should be the Seth Rollins of AEW. Meaning he could be a world champion if he wants. But uh, let's move on. I digress. Um, we get a little back and forth tag match on this one. Later, you know, Mid-match, we get a Meltzer driver and gets blocked. And then there's miscommunication between the Bucks. Jericho uh, gets kicked on an elbow. He delivers a low blow to Nick. There's a lot of low blows in this pay-per-view. Lots of nut shots. He gets teases with a V trigger on Jericho. Kenny goes for the one winged Angel, opts with the German suplex instead and gets for a one and a two. Kenny eats a super kick. So does Jericho. Jericho eats a few more for good measure and Kenny with a V trigger on Matt. And then the one winged Angel. One, two, and three. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega went around the 20 minute mark. Nick throws the chair around at ringside afterwards. Aubrey tries to calm him down. Kind of very Jericho-type tantrum. Um, ultimately, you know, post-conference media scrum, we get Jericho with a big cut the arm. He's asked about it. He says he needed about 10 stitches, So we can see here. Pretty good cut. Uh, nothing big deal that Jericho can't handle. But he's probably been through worse. I know he's been through worse. But the fans, you know, while it was slow, and I think it was just due to the recovering from the death match, This matchup took a while to heat up. The fans did eventually get into it. But what we're really getting into next is the main event. We've got the AEW champion, Jay White, going against, not MJF, Adam Cole. So Adam Cole crutches his way to the ring. Are we really going to do this? Are we really going to make the medically, magically not cleared, cleared guy fight? It's just going to be a butt kicking by Jay White? So Jay offers to lay down. It's very nice of Jay. But hold hold on, just as Jay is kind of teasing and mocking him. Uh, we get an ambulance driving into the building, Stone Cold Steve Austin style. It's MJF committing a felony, driving into the ring. He merges out with a ton of tape on his leg. I don't know who did that rap job. But still, in better shape than Adam Cole to compete. Though a bunch of officials try to stop him from entering the ring. But I don't get it because it doesn't make sense. You're okay with Adam Cole, who's got a more severe injury wrestling, but you're not okay with MJF. I get this, their storytelling here. I get that they're trying to elevate it, but it just got a little overbooked, like you guys said. I believe my tag partner, Carlos, didn't like this one too much. Um, yeah, I just it, it seemed a little silly. But... Let's look at the match itself. I felt like the match itself was not bad. Um, we get some slaps in the beginning. I mean, it was a really good back and forth match. MJF seemed unhappy and the fans get behind him. And they try to to hawk up. MJF gets a slam. It doesn't help his leg situation overall. MJF then rams Jays head into the corner approximately. Yeah, I think it was like a 9-10 count. And then hits about nine punches in the corner before biting him lots of biting on this show tonight lots of nut shots mjf sets up for the kangaroo kick and he hits it there's a kip up and then he then goes for his knee because he's in such pain and he's selling the bad fake knee injury mjf then tries to go for a middle rope it doesn't work Uranga gets a two for white there's a stomped mjf's knee mjf blocks a suplex but white hits him back with a suplex on the floor um like I said, a, bat, a lot of suplexes, a lot of punching in this matchup. There was the trio Woe place. They really wanted to work the idea with the trio Woe that MJF's knee is just terrible. We get it. Um, there was one sweet spot in this matchup. It was probably one of my favorites where uh, White shakes off a move. And then MJF goes for the huge win. And he goes for uh, hitting White with a running... RKO out of nowhere style cutter from the apron floor. It's pretty sweet. Um, and at this point, you know, a lot of cool matches, but, you know, we got we to gotta take this home, right? Got to take it home because it's just, um, we got to get this pay-per-view over with. So White teases the tapping out at one point. Cole has his ring on our tag team belt in his hand. Looks at White with an evil intentions, but White takes it and hits MJF with it. So at this point, I thought Adam Cole. I was like, what's going on? Adam Cole gonna be the devil? Is this all a big story, part of a big reveal? What's the payoff? But instead we got Adam Cole, the friend. Cole produces the dynamite diamond ring. I'm gonna come back to this with a main point in my thoughts. But White gets to it first. White goes for the punch. But MJF hits White low, and we're all about the low blows again. There's a, And again, the guns run down. They get knocked out of the ring again. MJF hits White with the dynamite diamond ring. And Bryce Renberg sees nothing and counts the one, the two, and the three. And we get MJF retaining his title under all this drama and pressure at the 29-minute, 45-second mark by a pinfall. MJF and Cole celebrate afterwards. It was a long celebration afterwards. We had a good five minutes of ring celebration. I thought something was going to play and happen, but no, we just go off the air. All right, good for them. And at that point, a simple standard match with some overbooked storytelling. Guys, I want to get to my final thoughts here. The devil. You guys said the devil did not make an appearance tonight. And I tweeted out about it the night of AEW full gear. And I gave you guys a hint of my thoughts on this, my final thoughts. And my tweet was this photo with simply the captions, the sometimes the devil, you know, dot, dot, dot to finish that. If you guys don't know the same, sometimes the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't. The devil was there tonight, you guys. And his name He wasn't able to make an actual appearance because why he was at ringside for 40 minutes and his name was Adam Cole. I feel like Adam Cole is the devil. Um, I feel like story's got a little swayed with this injury, but he is connected in some format. Now, they're going to try to throw a swerve at you. No pun intended, not swerve strictly. They're not going to throw a swerve at you and they're going to try to make you think it's somebody other than Adam Cole. They're going to throw A.W., Dynamite, and Samoa Joe at it, right? They're going to throw weird things at it. But ultimately, Adam Cole is playing a part here. He's playing a role. And there's a reason that they kept him on TV. I want you to think of that. Number two, all the drama, all the friendship being built up. Again, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And I feel as though it's too easy for that. Number three, the Dynamite Diamond Ring can you guys tell me how Adam Cole got a hold of the dynamite diamond ring and how did he have it? Which means that he could have went into MJF's locker. He knows the code just as much as he could have grabbed it out of his locker. Well, that means he could have stolen his devil mask as well. So I do believe that all of this is meant to be Adam Cole as the devil for those reasons. Again, how did he get that diamond ring? And he just happened to have it. So, and if he did, how did he get in the locker? Which means he could have gotten the mask. All right, guys. So um, overall, booking storytelling, I thought was good. Um, I, I like that they're attempting to do this. But we just got to think about why we're doing it and what the purpose is of this one. So if we think about those concepts, you know, I do like the idea of stories at pay-per-views. Who ran over Stone Cold at Survivor Series? Remember that classic? Um, things like that. So ultimately, that's all my final thoughts and results. Thank you guys for sticking with me here. Thanks, for guys. You know, if you got any discussions beyond this, let's talk into Twitter X space at the Brian Atkins, or let's also just hit me up in the comments down below because I do love talking and I do answer comments, all right? Guys, wish you the best. Thank you so much. I'm heading out. And don't forget, like, share, subscribe. It's not goodbye. It's game over.